Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, so we're in our series, Church Defined. Uh, this is the this is the fourth week, I think, uh, of this uh, great series, uh, following on from our series at the beginning of the year, Just Jesus. Uh, and now we're looking at the church, uh, not this church specifically, but church everywhere. And we're trying to define what church should be like. What is God's idea of church? Now, looking around at what I see in front of me, you guys here uh, in Ferndown Village Hall today. Uh, this is not most people's idea of church. If you ask a, a stranger on the street what they think of when they hear the word church, it wouldn't be this, right? It, it wouldn't, that this is what we see now wouldn't be what comes into their, their imagination. Uh, what they would think of would probably be a beautiful old brick building with stained glass windows, uh, perhaps a pipe organ, wooden pews. And, you know, my first church was just like that. It was an old Baptist church uh, in the West Midlands where I grew up. And, and I went to this church until the age of about five or six. And it was an old Baptist church. It had a graveyard that you had to walk through to get to the big wooden doors. It was uh, cold and drafty inside. It had hard wooden pews. And it, at the very front of the um, of inside was a big raised pulpit uh, with stairs leading up to it that the minister stood in in his black robes to, the robes to deliver his message each week. And I think this is kind of what most people imagine when they think of church. But church has changed so much over the past kind of 40 or 50 years, hasn't it? Those of us who are old enough to remember uh, church like that, like I've just described. Uh, but it's so different now. I don't have to, to wear that big black gown anymore. I don't even have to wear a tie. I can just come in my jeans. And ladies, you don't have to kind of wear high heels and you don't have to wear a hat anymore. You can rock up like you just got out of bed, kind of like you all have. Um, I'm kidding. But my mum, now she remembers. She remembers church like I described because her dad, my grandfather, was actually a Baptist Minister, he was one of those guys in the in the black gown standing in the pulpit, and and all I remember as a child, and not specifically my grandfather, but you know going into a church like that was the severity of the whole thing. It was a little bit scary, wasn't it? That scary pipe organ music. I mean, the pipe organ. What is that? Uh, you see it in two different contexts. Either you see it in church. Or you see it in scary horror movies. How did how did that how did how did pipe organ come to be associated with church? And then you throw in that graveyard that you have to walk through, and it's just confusing as a child, a little bit scary. And then you throw in the Sunday school message, you know, the standard thing: uh, "Suffer the little children to come unto me." And all I remember from that message is "Suffer little children." And then that pipe organ playing and that angry man in the black gown. It's really just frightening as a child. But how did church ever get like that? And why is it that that is still so many people's perception of church, even though church isn't like that? Even traditional church today isn't exactly like that. Um, you see, it wasn't in the original blueprint. Jesus' idea of church was quite different to that. And in this series, Church Defined, we are trying to discover 
what the God-ordained definition of church is. Because if you can't define something, you'll never achieve it. If you can't define it, you don't know what you're aiming for. So as I said, we're not talking about how Sunny Hill specifically operates as a church. We're looking at finding what, what are the essentials of church. That's every church, all churches everywhere. So it's not easy to describe or define what church should be. And to help us in our understanding, the New Testament presents us with a number of metaphors. Because sometimes when it's hard to describe something, a metaphor is the way to go. Now we have a number of metaphors um, that the New Testament uses to describe the church. We've already looked at a few of these. We've looked at the church as a bride, which speaks of a, you know, the church being pure and also hungering after the presence of Jesus, the bridegroom. We've spoke about church as a family, which speaks of, uh, of us being children of God and our inherit, eternal inheritance, and also about us being co-heirs with, with Jesus, with Christ. And last week, through led us uh, through the church as a building of living stones, speaking of gathering, uh, gathering together and scattering outside the church, and how everything in our lives should align with the chief cornerstone that is Jesus. So you see, there's a bit of a common thread. Even though we're talking about the church, Jesus is right at the center of all these metaphors. And today is no exception because today we're looking at the church as a body. And there's a number of places in scripture where um, particularly the apostle Paul in his letters writes about the church as a body. And guess who uh, scripture tells us is the head of this body? Well, it's Jesus, right? Of course, you're getting, getting all these answers right, and it's a bit like Sunday school where every single answer is Jesus. As long as you say Jesus, you're bound to get it right. So we've got a body, the church, and we have a head who's Jesus. And it's an important thing because we don't want to be a headless body. You've no doubt heard the expression uh, running around like a, a headless chicken. Right, the implication being a chicken without a head running around, uh, perhaps running around in circles, running about in a crazy thing, run, bumping into things. It's a saying we use when someone is being ineffective in what they're doing. They look busy, they're, they're doing a whole lot, they're running around, but they're not achieving anything. They're running around like a headless chicken, perhaps going around in circles. Um, because apparently a chicken's body can survive for a short time without its head. There's actually a story on YouTube that I saw this week about Mike, the miracle chicken, who survived for 18 months without its head. Now, it's on YouTube, so it must be true. <laughs> look it up if you don't believe me. Not now. You mustn't do that now, but look it up afterwards. Mike, the miracle chicken, 18 months without a head. And, and I wonder, have any of you here today, has anybody ever cut the head off a chicken? All right, because we talk about running around like, what is a headless chicken actually like? No, not many of you have. Well, I actually have, so I'm the expert here. I've cut the head off a chicken. Uh, a number of years ago, we used to keep chickens. We had, we had six hens. They were rescue hens uh, from a shelter. They'd been, I guess, battery farmed or something. Uh, they weren't in great shape. I've got to be honest with you. They were a bit uh, ratty, uh, these hens. And um, Fru, my wife and the kids, they gave them names in order to boost their self-esteem. So uh, I think Fru called her one Princess, 
somebody called their one Kate, somebody called their one Elvis, I think it had a bit of a quiff. Um, um, but me, I got to name one, and I named my one the other one. So they all gave them nice kind of names to boost their, to boost their self-esteem, but I called my one the other one. And my one is the one that got sick. So it just goes to show, actually giving, naming something right is important. Um, so this hen, the other one, was moping around, it was looking really ill, and Fru said, actually, we can't leave it like that, you've got to put it out of its misery. So I put the hen in a black bin bag with its head sticking out the top, holding it by its neck, put it on the chopping block, got my little axe that I use for making kindling, and quick strike, I'm not gonna mime that out, that would be a bit sick, but the deed was done. And actually for a short while, inside the bag I could feel the body moving around just for a few seconds before it eventually stopped. Uh, don't know why I'm telling you this, uh, why I've got onto this, but uh, we're talking about being a body without a head. Without a head, the church would have no vision, no sense of direction, it would have no wisdom, it would have no, um, no kind of North Pole by which to bear all our decisions by. And when the church gets tangled up in religious practices, I'm not just talking about traditional church, I'm talking any church can get tangled up in religious practices and forget to order itself around Jesus, the head, then the church might look alive, it might look busy, but actually it's going to be fruitless and eventually it will. It's going to be a matter of time before it eventually dies. The church body needs to have a head. We need Jesus at the centre. I know you all know this, uh, we need to have a head, but it's also true that we also need to take on the nature of the head. We need to look like the head. We need to um, represent the head correctly. Um, I've got a prop here, I've got a book. Uh, did anyone else have this book as a child? It's an interesting book. It's a book of um, just pictures of people, but it's done with three flaps, and you can turn over the flaps, um, the, the head flap, the body flap, and the legs flap, and you can create different combinations of head, body, and legs, and create kind of um, mixing them up. You can have an old man's head with a young lady's body and then kangaroo legs. And it just looks weird when you do that. And we've got to make sure that as a church, we are defining ourselves, that we are re representing our head, Jesus, correctly. Now, Jesus, in the lead up to his arrest and death, he makes a He's teaching his disciples a number of things, and he makes a great prayer. We find it in John 17. Um, and part of this prayer, uh, he says this, so from verse 20, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 20, he says this, I pray that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So this is Jesus praying. He says, I have given them the glory that you gave me. Now that's interesting, isn't it? We've been given the same glory that God the Father gave to Jesus. That word glory, which is the Greek word doxa, it's got a wide range of meanings. It essentially means splendor or brilliance or kind of an awesome light that radiates from God's presence. It's associated with having acts of power and honor and praise um, and excellence. So he's saying, I have given them that glory you gave me, I've given it to them. And this is the reason why he says that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. 
So I've given them glory so that they may be brought to unity. And then he goes again, there's a further reason. Then he says, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So we've been given this glory so that we can be united uh, together as a church and to the head Jesus. And he says, and when they're united, the world will know that uh, God the Father sent Jesus and have loved, loved us even as you have loved uh, Jesus. So the reason we've been given this glory, the church, is so that we can be brought to complete unity. Unity with Jesus, unity with each other. That's what being a body with Jesus at the head is all about. So that the world will see us and know him. But it's not just unity. When we're talking about the church in terms of being a body, yes, we need to be, demonstrate unity, but we also need to embody diversity. Unity and diversity. Diversity and unity. Now, at first glance, those two concepts seem like they're at odds with each other. They seem like opposites. But in the, in the metaphor of a body, this really works. And can I also just say uh, quickly, this word diversity has come to mean uh, all sorts of things in today's society. And today I'm not talking about diversity in that way. Uh, but by the way, we will accept and we will love anybody who walks through our doors. Okay, no matter how, how they come, what they've been doing, how they live their life, they're gonna be accepted. But that doesn't mean that we will condone or promote actions that the Bible clearly labels as sinful. Because we're all a work in progress, aren't we? The Bible tells us that we're all, we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of God's glory. There's no, nobody who's better than it. There's nobody who's earned righteousness more than anybody else. Um, so we will accept anyone, but we won't promote or condone sinful behavior. But anyway, in terms of diversity, that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about diversity of function. Diversity as described in the context of a body refers to each of us bringing who we are in Christ, our personalities, uh, the things we're passionate about, our passions, our past, so our history, the things that have gone on, our proficiencies, so that's our talents, the things we're good at, and also our purpose, most of all really our purpose, our calling, uh, our God-given calling. We bring all those things, the things that make us uniquely us, and we offer them to the body. And when we do that, we elevate this group of believers to a higher and better relationship with God. When we bring who we are and include it in the mix, we all get better. I'm better and you're better because of it. So that's what I'm talking about, diversity. That's what I'm talking about. And when I'm talking about unity, I'm not talking about us all conforming to a particular style of church. I'm not saying that we all have to agree with each other about every point of theology. But unity is living our individual lives connected by the Holy Spirit to one another and to God. In fact, it's the other way around. We're connected by the Holy Spirit to God and then through that connection to one another. And that Holy Spirit that dwells in each of us and connects us to one another is also a conduit, a channel uh, for God's love working through us. Romans uh, chapter 5 verse 5 says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit 
who has been given to us. And this love is right at the heart of what it means to be united as a body. And as we open scripture in a short while, we're going to see that clearly. So this thing then, this thing we're calling the body, who can be a part of it? Is it exclusive? Are there certain things that we have to do or become so that we can belong to this body? And again, if we went out into the streets and asked people who don't belong to church, people who don't go to church normally, why they don't go, they might say something like, oh, well, I'm busy on a Sunday morning or I'm not a religious person or, or maybe that's something like, it's just not for me. I'm not a church person. I can see that you are a church person, but I'm not a church person. And most people, they probably attend church for weddings or for funerals or even for a Christmas carol service. And when they do, sadly, unfortunately, often it's, it reinforces their belief that church isn't for them. It doesn't always change their minds, as I think it should. They'll just reinforce their belief that they are not church people. Now, when we lived in um, Bromley, before we moved uh, down to Dorset, our older kids were in primary school. Every Christmas, uh, the school would put on a Christmas carol service at the local parish church up the road, and the kids would sing songs and act out the nativity in some way. I'm sure you can picture exactly what I'm talking about. But every year, this parish church uh, up the road would be packed to the rafters with parents and grandparents and friends and aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters, all who had come to see little Chloe or little Jack singing in a choir of 200 kids kind of across the big room, all the way over there. This wasn't a small building. It held a few hundred people and it was packed, every seat filled, every inch of standing space taken up by those who didn't arrive an hour before the service started. Families prepared to stand at the back or behind a pillar for an hour or more just to get a little away from their, their little kid. And every year, Fru and I would be sat there or probably more accurately standing there behind a pillar thinking, what an amazing opportunity to share the gospel with hundreds of people who wouldn't normally set foot in church. And every year the vicar would stand up and deliver a short address, which, to be honest with you, I found incomprehensible, let alone the people who aren't used to listening to a sermon. I remember one year uh, the vicar, uh, Lady Vicar, she brought a prop a Terry's chocolate orange. I can't remember exactly what she did with this prop, but I do remember one thing. She held it up and she said something like, uh, "This, the world is like this chocolate orange. And then she dropped it on the floor and it smashed everywhere. And I can't remember what she said, but she kind of looked out as if she just demonstrated something really profound. And everybody watching was just as confused as I was. And... And the sad thing is, they all left that day, having had their thoughts about church reinforced. Church is for church people, it's not for me. And I think people think about church like they might think about Formula One. Does anybody here like Formula One? Yeah, a few of you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't get it. I see it on TV, cars vroom, vroom, going past at however fast they go, very fast, and it doesn't excite me. But I know it does for some people. I'm not a Formula One person. You guys are. Uh, but I like golf. I really like golf. And my wife thinks I'm mad. She says a golf is a good walk ruined. Um, 
And she says, oh, you're a golf person. I'm not, and that's fine for you. And I think people feel about church the same way. Well, you're a golf person, or you're a Formula One person, or you're a church person, and I'm not. Church is for church people. Christianity, therefore, is for church people. God is for church people. And that's really, really sad, because that wasn't the idea of Jesus' ecclesia at all. It was never supposed to be like that. It was never supposed to be an exclusive club that makes everybody conform to a set idea about what a Christian should look like. The idea behind everyone being welcome is not so we can bring people in and then make them look like us. Church is strongest when we invite people in and they just bring who they are. And we don't try and change them, but we let them be uniquely them, bring them into the mix, and then make all of us better as we create this amazing synergy. Andy Stanley is a church pastor, and he describes it like this. He says, church is often like a ladder with the bottom rungs missing. And for those people who are already on the ladder, it works just fine, they can go up and down, no worries. But for those who come in for the first time and are standing at the foot of the ladder, they've got no way of accessing the gospel, the beautiful gospel of God, because the rungs are missing. They can't seem to find a way up. And then Jesus' message of come to me, all who are weary and burdened, which is pretty much everyone on the planet, right? All of us carry burdens of some description. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I think church often transplants that with, come to church all who are weary and burdened and we will look at your burdens and we'll suck our teeth a bit and we'll shake our head, maybe tut a little and then we'll load you up with the right burdens and you can be just like us. And I bet there's something like that, even in, the, even in this church, even though we strive to not be like that. I'm sure we do. We can be better. We can be the body that Jesus had in mind. So there are a number of passages in the New Testament that refer to the church as a body. And the three main passages are uh, Romans chapter 12, Paul's letter to the Romans, uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians chapter 12 again, and then his letter to the Ephesians chapter 4. All these passages talk about the body and about bringing our gifts into the body. Um, I'm just going to pick one of those actually, uh, Romans chapter 12 from verse 3 to 8, and we're going to read this through together. This is in my Bible, this is actually labelled unity and diversity in the body. And it says this, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather of your, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So he's saying no matter what you're bringing into the mix, no matter what greatness, what, uh, what gifts you've got, what your personality is, no matter how wonderful you think you are, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Don't do that. Just bring your gifts and offer it humbly. He goes on, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, and that's the important, important point there, in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So when we come and we make sure that Jesus is the head and we put him first when we're working, when we're living in Christ, 
We belong to each other. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. All sorts of gifts represented there, but there are plenty more. If it is to make the sound great, do it as well as you can. If it is to teach kids in kids' church, or if it is to sing or lead worship, or if it is to greet people out in the car park or on the door and make them feel cared for, if it's operating a computer, if it's giving financially, if it's leading a small group, if it's welcoming people into your home with a cup of tea, if it's baking cakes, if it's organizing rotors, if it's moving chairs, if it's sharing the gospel with strangers, if it's just sitting quietly with a grieving friend, or if it's posting on social media, do it, do it, do it with all your heart. If that's your gift, if that's your calling, if those are your passions, if, that's, if you've been prepared for this by what's gone on in your past, do this, bring it with every ounce of your being, bring it into the body, be you with all your heart. Don't compare your gift or your calling with somebody else's. You don't need to do that. Just own what you've got and bring it, offer it. You are the gift to the body and the body won't function correctly or well without you. That's the body we are supposed to be. That's the church that Jesus wants to be the head of. That's the church that the Holy Spirit is moving us towards. And right at the heart of everything we are and everything we do is this thing called love. This thing called love. I just... No, I'm not going to go there. It's love. It's interesting that in all these passages that I've mentioned, in the passage that we've just read, Romans 12, and in 1 Corinthians 12, and in Ephesians 4, all of these passages that mention gifts and being a body, they then immediately go on to talking about love. Because love is at the centre of operating in this way. Uh, Corinthians 12 uh, says this, If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So that's written in Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12. And guess what follows 1 Corinthians 12? You got it, 1 Corinthians 13. It's the famous chapter all about love. It's the one that's used at most weddings. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not self-seeking. It says if you bring all the gifts, the most amazing gifts of prophecy, but you haven't got love, then you're just a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Ephesians 4 is the other passage that talks about being a body. It says this, instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. When we do that work, when we come together as a body, when we build ourselves up in love, then the whole body grows and gets healthy. And then Romans 12, 
the passage we just read. We read from verse 3 to 8. Let me just go on now from verse 9. And in fact, in my Bible, this section is entitled Love in Action because being part of the body is not a passive thing. It's an active thing. We don't come to the body as consumers. We come consumed by our love for God and our love for each other. And we bring, we bring our gifts and we make the church better. Let me just read this. So Romans 12 from verse 9. It says, there's a whole list of things that love is outworked. It says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourself. So when you see what everybody else brings to the mix, honour them for that. Honour each other. Encourage one another. Never be lacking in zeal, it says, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless, don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony one, with one another. Remember, this is love in action. So don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all, with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends. Leave room for God's wrath. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good that's a whole lot of things we should do and shouldn't do a whole lot of do's and don'ts it almost sounds like one of those churches we were describing earlier that puts a whole lot of burdens on people but that's not what it is at all when it's talking about love in action it's not saying these are things you've got to strive to do the love we have in us is not uh, to share with others it's not thereby some supreme effort on our part it's not something we strive to do or be this love in us is something that's deposited by the holy spirit that has been given to us and as we allow that holy spirit to direct us to guide our actions as we place ourselves under the headship of jesus god's love is going to inevitably flow through us into every situation and person we encounter. Those things that I've just written, that list of things, are going to happen as a byproduct when we are individually connected to the head. They are the fruit of being a head-centered church instead of a headless chicken, right? The love flows from the head via the Holy Spirit into all the members and results in love in action. In fact, many of those things that were mentioned in that list are also described later in Galatians as fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. They're fruit. It's the fruit of living a life led by the Spirit. It's the fruit of living our life connected to the head. We've got to be connected to the head. Ah, You know, when we look at our own bodies, our hands and our fingers and our arms and our legs, they're not... They're not kind of self-contained. They don't, um, they don't have authority over themselves. They don't decide. My hand doesn't decide to grab something. It does so because my head, my brain, sends neurons through the nervous system and electrical and chemical impulses that then guide the parts of the body 
to do the right thing, to do the thing that the head wants them to do. And it's the same with church. This is how the church body works too. We're connected to the head. We're connected via the Holy Spirit and we're able to, uh, to outwork this love because we're connected. So that's it. That's the picture that I want to paint this morning. This is what I want us to grasp, the potential of being the church defined in the way that Jesus defines us as a body, as a body tied together in unity, but also bringing our diversity, bringing our gifts. What was that list? Our passions, our proficiencies, our past, our personality and our purpose, bringing it together and becoming more than the sum of our parts because of who we're connected to. We need to be a church of bodybuilders, right? People who build the body. And there's amazing possibility when we get this right. If you don't feel like you are bringing or bringing who you are into the body and you feel like there's more you can do, or you've got an idea about how you could serve this body, the church, and our community, then feel free to email me, adam at sunnyhill.church or fru at sunnyhill.church. We'd love a chance to talk with you about how you might serve and how you might kind of thrive. Because it's not just bringing your gift to the body so that the body has enough people to, to work in it. That's not it at all, actually. That's not it. We serve because it makes us better. It grows us. This is why that when a new person comes to this church, if once you've been coming for two or three weeks, we're going to talk to you and say, how would you like to get stuck in? How would you like to, you know, who are you? What will you bring to the mix to make us all better? We're going to go into uh, communion now in a time of worship. But let me just quickly pray. Father God, I do thank you for this message that we've heard today. Thank you that we are all members of a united body. And I pray that we would outwork this in love for each other and love for our community. And I pray that we would be changed uh, by what we've heard and what we've learned today. That we won't be the same, God, because of who you are and the work that you're doing in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.